Good morning. Good to see you guys this morning. Good moment for us to give some thanks for some birthday celebrations. Happy birthday, Phil, belated one day. Grateful for friends and co-laborers. I know Bill Treby's birthday, I know he's watching this morning, was this past Monday. So just guys who have been faithful to bless our lives. We are grateful for them. But I, I'm not more grateful for this day's birthday celebration than I am for anybody else in the world. On this day, the Lord gave the greatest gift he has given to me apart from himself. And that would be my wife. And so happy birthday to my wife today, my dear love, who is hanging out with our COVID people in our home, which is, by the way, why I'm wearing a mask today. And I'm probably not going to talk to any of you after the service, just... As far as I know, I don't have COVID, but who knows these days, right? It's been kind of a strange season. Um, Greetings to all you guys on live stream. So grateful that you can join us at all. Uh, And if you can be here with us today, we miss being with you, obviously. But thank you for tuning in, being part of what the Lord's doing among us. And we started this year, we usually do every year. I try to start with a little bit of a sense of just putting a finger on the pulse of what is God speaking to us at any particular moment. And we start the year in a transition. It's a great moment for us to pay attention to what is God saying to you as you, as you move into the next season of your life. Right? And so we've, we've started this under the idea of, of a great pause. Today we're going to pause with the greatest man who ever walked upon the earth. And we're going to notice something about pauses, that God does something in these pause moments. So 2022, I want to say it's the next chapter of our lives, right? We're, we're moving into another chapter. Maybe for you, it's, it's a small chapter. You know, if you read a book, sometimes books have sections in them. They've got four or five chapters in the same section. And so maybe that whole section is going to be pretty similar. You move from chapter to chapter, but it's, it's a long season of your life. So maybe this coming year is going to be just like the last five or 10 years of your life, or maybe you're transitioning in a really significant way. Maybe you're moving from one season of life into another one. Maybe you've graduated and you're moving from the education season of your life into a new career. And there's a lot of things that feel different in your world as a result, or maybe you're Moving into a young family season, you're, you're just getting married or you're just in your first year or two of marriage, you're just starting to have children, significant changes are taking place. There's a lot of relocation going on in our world today. I just talked to folks in different churches and in our own church who have moved somewhere else or they're moving here. You know, we've got folks here who have picked their life up and they've come to New Orleans and New Orleans is a new place for them and Lake Christian Center is a new place for them. We've got folks here all the way from Ghana, we've got folks from Nigeria, we've got folks all the way from California who have moved here in the last year or two. And this is a different season for them. They're, they're starting something that's very new. Maybe I know a lot of our folks are moving into the retirement years and, and your life is, is about to become very, very different than what it once was. So how significant, I think, just to pay attention to the scriptures, that when there is this movement from one place to another in God, there is often these significant pause 
moments where God shows up in that space and he begins to say some things to us in that transitional moment that you and I don't know in the moment exactly how important that encounter with God is going to be five years from now, 10 years from now. But, but here's what I'm very aware of is, is we don't pause very well. And so we, this could just pass us up, right? And we, and we find ourselves again, you know, COVID has, has created more pauses. It, it's been so difficult to plan things for the church uh, in the last two years. Because, you know, the second we stand something up that requires all of us to come together and, and, and get on the same page and walk with God, the next COVID outbreak hits and, and we look like this. We're just scattered for another, you know, several weeks uh, as we are right now. But I don't know if you paid attention. If you look at Jesus' life, and he, there's a great pause for this greatest man that takes place. Where we, we watched the story of Jesus through the incarnation. Here, God comes to earth in the form of a baby born in a, in a manger. And that Advent story gives way to Mary and Joseph having to travel to Egypt in order to, to hide out from Herod so, so that they could be protected there. And then there's a transition in the story. They're going to come back from Egypt and they're going to settle in Galilee and, and do life in Nazareth. And then here's an interesting reality. For the next almost three decades of Jesus' life, you're going to know next to nothing about him. Is that weird? That's weird for me. The most important person in the universe, the most important person who ever put on flesh, who could ever have an audience, who could ever interact with anybody, is going to be in obscurity for 30 years. There's going to be that one little episode where he goes to the temple when he's about 12. But other than that, we know next to nothing. And that was God's plan, right? There wasn't some kind of power outage in heaven that, oops, oh, we could have made use of that time. How many of you feel like that was a wasted 30 years? And then you're going to have this three-year window that God takes three years of Jesus' life and presses the accelerator. And for three years, that's his public ministry. So it's amazing. You and I are gathered today and all over the world, people are gathered today to talk about a person who lived publicly for three years, three years in a moment when there was nobody could post anything. You couldn't take a picture of Jesus raising somebody from the dead. You couldn't post that and let it go viral all over the world. It would be hushed moments with no technology and slow moving information of three years worth of data. And the whole world has been strangely impacted, hasn't it? But right when Jesus launches this three years, there's this pause that takes place. And we're going to pick that up. It's at the end of Matthew chapter three, all the way into the beginning of Matthew chapter four. So if you have your Bible with me. Turn there and look at, look at that with me as we're reading together. Your headings will probably say something like the baptism of Jesus and the temptation of Jesus. This is the pause for the Son of God as he launches three years of earth-shattering ministry. The baptism of Jesus, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, to John, to be baptized by him. 
John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now, I'm not going to comment on that paragraph because we're going to pick that up next week because there's another pause that takes place before the launch of another ministry that actually sounds very much like that one. And it's the great pause of the greatest organization. And we'll look at that one next week. But then it says this, then, chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, we'll throw yourself down. For it's written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil. Those are, those are three good words to keep in your pocket. Again, the devil. Again, the devil. You might feel that way right now about your life. Again, the devil. Yep, that's how he is. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Notice one more thing here. Matthew concludes with that line. Luke gives the same events and concludes the temptations with this line in Luke 4, verse 13. It says, When the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Now, today, I want you to take notes on the devil. What God does in this moment with Jesus is to reveal perhaps some of the greatest details about this spiritual opponent in this world called the devil. I want you to take notice that Luke highlights something that was true for Jesus. It's true for anybody that any time the devil interacts with you, it is until an opportune time, right? Every moment 
in your life, every moment in Jesus' life was not the same. Don't make the mistake of, of thinking that every day is like every other day. Because in the day when it's an opportune time, you will treat the opportune day like it's an average day. And he will not be treating the opportune day like it's an average day. He will have studied something about you and he would have known this is an opportune time. This is a different moment for this person that I am now showing up in his setting and interacting with him differently. So I want to get some help today from the Lord in, in launching into 2022 with the same awareness that Jesus would have launched into his ministry with. An awareness that there, there really is a devil. And he really will show up in 2022. So let's pray together for a moment. Lord, we're so advanced today. Our technology, our ability to know so many things. We have so much respect for our science. We can figure so many things out. We can explain so many things. Are, are, are we really going to talk this morning about some dude in red pajamas and a pitchfork? Well, Lord, this is your holy word. This is revelation that we can't find with a microscope. We can't pull books off a shelf that have been written by somebody in history to explain to us things that we cannot see and we don't understand. But you have opened our awareness through your word to the true world that we live in. So God, would you help us? Would you help us to come whatever distance we need to come? Lord, maybe we're the most highly educated person in the room today. And if we can't fit it into a math equation, it doesn't really exist. And yet, Lord... How foolish we would be to think we know everything. Lord, there are things that you need to show us so that we can walk in 2022 for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you've noticed, but throughout God's word, God does pauses. God installs moments where there's a break in the action. Right, so we... Just highlighted the fact that Jesus had 30 years of break in the action when obviously you and I would feel like there's a better way to use that time. Something else could have been going on in those 30 years. If Jesus did all that he did in three years, what could he have done with 30 years? What if he just got started a little bit earlier than that? And so our minds begin to reason and begin to compete with the God who uses time the way he plans to use time versus the way we might have used it. Last week, we looked at God pausing with Noah as he came off the ark. And we remembered from Noah's life, there was a 50 to 70 year period in which all Noah did with his life was build a boat. 50 to 70 years, Noah, that's, that's the season. You're going you're gonna to pause from whatever else you're good at. Remember, Noah lived hundreds of years, and so 50 to 70 years was kind of like a few years for us. But this is your assignment. Every day, monotonously doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again for 50 to 70 years. Something that, by the way, nobody understood what he was doing. They had to have thought he was a quack. You're, dude, you're building a giant boat on dry land. What is wrong with you? Right, That could be how your life could feel. You could be in this pause with God 
and, and nobody gets it, and you don't even fully get it, but you're pausing with God. Moses, this great man who was going to lead the people out of Egypt, it's going to be a 40-year period in which Moses is not in Egypt, he's in Midian. Who the heck, who goes to Midian? What's going on there? For 40 years, Moses will live his life in obscurity in Midian before God sends him back to Egypt. Could, could he have done that earlier? Could, could he have gone a little faster? Could he have showed up? Right? There's timing in God that sometimes involves the very people of God are having to pause their lives. I've always been curious as to why when Moses goes up on the mountain with God to receive the Ten Commandments, it takes him 40 days to come back down. Was God a slow rider? I mean, he didn't have like an inkjet printer for tablets that he could have just, here, printed it out real quick. Hey, okay, Moses, it's been 40 minutes. Get on back down there because they're all going to freak out soon anyway. 40 days God takes to do that. And then Jesus is going to go into the wilderness here for 40 days. I think there's something to the fact that God keeps choosing that 40 number over and over again. I'm not going to try and figure out exactly what that means. But God doesn't mind pausing. It would be helpful for you and I to acknowledge, but we do. We're Americans. We don't do pause. Matter of fact, we are famous for, for filling our lives up with so much stuff. It's almost like if life gets quiet, we can't stand that. We don't know what to do with the quiet. It weirds us out. And then you try to interpret where is God in your quiet, in your pause, where God is taking whatever was going on in your life and the next thing just isn't coming. It's just not showing up for you. That next chapter, you see the next chapter in other people's lives. Their finances are going a certain way. Their relationships are going a certain way. They're moving and shaking. They've graduated. They got a new job. They've moved this career. They're moving along, but you're just stuck, right? Doing whatever it was that you were doing. You just keep doing that same thing over and over and over again. Your temptation will be, God is not in this moment with me. Because it almost only feels like God is among us when God's stuff is happening. Do you think Jesus spent 30 years in his life going, God is not with me? Or did he live in the pause moment that God had installed? Listen, I've walked with churches who have gone through pause moments. And it's kind of interesting, you know, they'll have a bit of a crisis, a setback, a season where it seems like the momentum of the church isn't kind of there. And it, and as I've visited with teams of leaders in those settings, it weirds them out. And then they begin to try and interpret that as though the idea that God could pause your church, could pause your life, is an indicator that God's not among you. Can you just pay attention that God often does things that are preceded by a pause and you are left waiting for an encounter with God. And in this moment... Jesus has this baptism event encounter that we'll, we'll unpack that more next week. But the other encounter in this pause is a meet the devil encounter. And I think there's something I want to translate, not just from Jesus' life. I want to highlight how it sits in Jesus' life. But I want to translate it into our life. So if you and I are, are, are one of the race runners, and God has said that we are. God has set before us a race to run. 
if you and I are on a mission, and I don't know if you think of your life that way, it's easy for me as a pastor to think of my life that way, but as a Christian, there's no way for you to not think of your life that way. Your life is on a mission. God has picked you up and joined you to something that has an ongoing progress to it. There's something happening in the kingdom of God that no one in this room who follows Christ should feel like, well, that's for somebody else, not for me. It is for you. You are on a mission. You are participating in this mission. And so if I am part of the same kind of a working of God that Jesus was a part of for Jesus, hey, it's 30 years, Jesus, but now it's time for you to begin your ministry at this moment. Meet the devil. That's what's happening right here. And that's going to happen for us too. And it was God's design. Look at verse 1. Chapter four, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. How did Jesus get there? By the spirit, he got there. Now, why is this so important? Because we are terrible amateurs, interpreters of life. I just got to tell you. We've got this simplistic, I've never read the Bible approach to interpreting life sometimes. So if the devil shows up at your doorstep next week, if you find him rooting around the backyard of your life a month from now, how many of us are going to ask the question, what am I doing wrong? Is, is it because I've gotten my life around something sinful? Is it because I've neglected something about God that, you know... Let's face it, if, if the devil shows up, it's because you're in his neighborhood, buddy. That's why the devil shows up. You've drifted off into the neighborhood of the devil, so of course he's going to show up in your life. Is that what you'd say about Jesus right here? Jesus drifted out of the purpose of God. He had neglected spiritual disciplines for a long season of his life. He had begun to make sinful choices about his actions in life and his thought processes. And so therefore, the devil is all over him now. Okay, well, that's not what we have here, is it? Jesus is led by the Spirit, and he is on the mission from God, and the devil comes to him. So don't think we will escape that. And, and this is a familiar setting, right? What Jesus encounters here, it's almost like, I think I've seen this movie before. Well, you did. It, it's in Genesis chapter 3, right? This is the pause I wrote in your outline. This is the pause faced by Adam and Eve at the dawn of human history. As Adam and Eve set out on God's ordained mission for their lives, they too meet the devil and temptation. Why? Because they're in the wrong neighborhood? Because Adam and Eve too have neglected their spiritual disciplines? Because Adam and Eve have fallen short somehow, they've become selfish somehow, they've gotten off track somehow? That's how you end up meeting the devil. No. They're walking with God in the cool of the day. They're fulfilling God's purpose. They're living in the garden. We have no hint that they're off track in any way in their lives. Christian, stop thinking that the devil only messes with your life, makes it hard and tempting when you have done something wrong. Now, maybe you have done something wrong, but that's not what's in these texts. In these texts, the thing that's going on that's attracting the devil like a bee to honey is the purpose of God. That's all he needs. Does he want to mess with your world? Well, get busy with the purpose of God. 
Live at the center of God's will. And I think the more you're in God's will, the more likely he'll take notice of you. Quite honestly, I think the devil doesn't need to mess with most of us. I think sin in the flesh do a fine job. Well, you understand sin in the flesh exists whether the devil takes a vacation or not. And I don't think the devil needs to take notice of those of us who have have got sin growing like crazy in our lives. I think the sin and the flesh is taking care of that. But you walk in the purpose of God in your life. And remember, your assignments in the purpose of God, they don't just sound like raising the dead or holding a crusade like Billy Graham. They sound like being image bearers of God as husbands and wives who are telling the story of how God, Christ loves his church. You are, you are fulfilling the purpose of God. And the more you are in the center of God's will in that Can I just tell you, you're going to attract the devil. And there may be great moments in your life where God's launching you into something where the devil is intending to show up with his best temptation face on. Genesis 3 verse 1. It says, now the serpent, right? That now, just like Jesus then. Now, where are we coming from? Well, God has just given an assignment to man. Hey man, I created you. I've given you this garden. I've given you the world. Be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. There's your assignment. Be image bearers of me. Take my kingdom with you into all of creation. That's their assignment. And here's the next word. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. I'd love to unpack this in more detail. I'm not, not, I'm not seeking to fully explain what temptation is like to us, just trying to make us aware of something that takes place in these moments where God is launching us. But here's, here's some good ingredients to temptation. Temptation is in verse 4, the serpent said. All right, so temptation is something he says. And then in verse 6, the woman saw something I see. So these are the ingredients. If you're going to face temptation from the devil, his ingredients are going to be both of those. He's going to want to say something to you, but he knows you need to see something as well. You need to see something in your life that reaches out to you, that enlightens something, that awakens something, that touches something of an advantage to you. Something that could be good for you. She 
saw something. When you see her description, she saw how this could serve my interest. So, so be careful. When you, when you face temptation, it's not just that the devil made me do it. And it's not just that he said something to you in a really clever, deceitful way. It's like he said something relevant to what you were already staring at. And you were already seeing something. So, you know, be aware, not just of the devil. Beware of yourself. Temptation needs something in you to get a hold of. And that's what the devil's strategy is here. Let me go back to Matthew Four. Why, question, why was Jesus led by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil? Why is the Holy Spirit leading Jesus to be tempted? And I wrote this in your outline. Because Jesus is the second Adam. He has come to fulfill God's purpose where the first Adam and all in Adam have failed. So it's interesting It is the leading of the Holy Spirit that puts Jesus in a Garden of Eden type moment. In the same way that Adam started at the beginning of the race to come out of the starting blocks in his first encounter as God has given him a mission to be on is to encounter the devil. That will be Jesus' assignment as well. His first steps into fulfilling the mission that he is on is to encounter the devil. And he's going to do something in that moment, which is characteristic of everything he's done with his life. He is going to do successfully what Adam and all of us have failed at. And that's extremely significant. Right? There was a need. This is why the, the topic of a savior is so incredibly important. Because there is something about what Jesus did that no one else could ever or has ever done. The idea that there's some way to make right the fall in this universe apart from Jesus is a misnomer. It can't happen. There is no human being who has successfully stared the devil in the face and not been deceived by his temptation. No one except this one. He is the one who faces temptation where we have failed and fulfills what Adam should have succeeded at, but he didn't. So let me just tap into this thought for a moment. There are things that Jesus has successfully done that you and I fail at that we need to be aware of. But in an interesting way, they don't dismiss us from those activities. We need to be aware of what he has done that we could never do for ourselves. We need to be aware that there's nothing for us to achieve in addition to what Christ has achieved. Right, So Jesus has become our righteousness. So our rightness with God is fully based on what he has achieved for us. How many of us recognize that when you read the Bible, it, it doesn't say so. Therefore, you don't have to actually live righteously. Because Jesus satisfied all righteousness. Have you recognized the Bible doesn't say that? It actually says that he did satisfy all righteousness. We just read that. Even being baptized by John, Jesus said, no, 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 you do this to satisfy all righteousness. Everything about Jesus' life satisfied all righteousness. So I hope there's not a person in this room who's working on a righteousness project. That you're trying to figure out how can I do this or how can I do that in order for God to sort of lean into me because now I have satisfied righteousness. No! I don't ever have to live a day where I got to get God to lean in 
He leans in by grace because righteousness has been completely satisfied. But if you offend me and I have to relate to you as a result, does that mean I don't put on righteousness? The Bible's all over that. Of course we put on righteousness, right? There's this wonderful news that Jesus is going to accomplish something. And because of what he's done by his work, he's going to now present to us the Holy Spirit who's going to go to work in our lives, transforming us. How many guys know you can't transform yourself? The Holy Spirit has to be at work transforming us. He is the reason why we're successful. But then the Bible turns around and tells you to cooperate with transformation, doesn't it? So here's the same thing is happening. Jesus is going to face the devil as a representative of Adam's failure, but he's the second Adam. He's going to successfully do it. He's going to face temptation and succeed at it. So does that now mean we're all exempt from temptation? Come on, go with me. Because if you've got a hyper Jesus doctrine, which some people do, some people take the wonderful news of being able to say, look what Christ has done that you don't have to do, and then use it in a way that is crippling to the Christian. Ignoring the rest of the Bible. Do not. And nobody should conclude this if you read the rest of the Bible. That because Jesus was tempted and successfully resisted it on our behalf, none of us are going to be tempted. All of us have lived long enough to know, well, that, that ain't true. But it's not biblically true either. So Jesus was successful and he gives us the courage and the confidence that we can face temptation. But he does not eliminate our temptations. So I wrote your outline there. Ponder our 2022 chapter in this light. The God who calls man to fulfill or fill the earth and subdue it, that same God who calls Jesus to redeem those in Adam, who calls us to go and make disciples, right? We're all on a mission. That God has a living spiritual opponent who faithfully offers an alternative. Meet the devil. God has a purpose that he has given to humanity, to the nation of Israel, to the Savior, to you and to me. That same God who gives that purpose to us, he has a living spiritual opponent. And when we read about him interacting with God's purpose. Here's here's a good descriptive because it doesn't sound so evil when I say it this way. And it's exactly what he's doing. He's just here to offer you an alternative. That's all. Quite honestly, some of the things he offered to Jesus in and of themselves, they don't sound that bad. Right? I mean, he turned a rock into bread I mean, he's going to turn his power loose on earth and he's going to, he's going to do stuff like that. He's going to turn water into wine. You can't turn a rock into bread. I mean, so you change substance. Is that illegal for the son of God to do? It doesn't sound all that bad. It's just an alternative. And then that becomes the problem. When God has revealed his purpose, any alternative becomes sinful. Whatever is not of faith, the Bible says, is sin. So the devil doesn't have to come along and and invite you into the most ungodly, demonic, dark, sinister activity you've ever heard of. He just wants to present you with an alternative. He just wants to give you something different than what God had in mind. 
And in that alternative moment, he's going to subtly, if not loudly, call into question the character of God. He's kind of doing that with Jesus, right? Hey, man, just throw yourselves down from here. I mean, you know God will come to your rescue, right? Hey, uh, Eve, I don't know if you've thought this through or not, but there's a lot, a lot of good in that tree over there. A lot of good in that tree. Why do you, why do you think God might be keeping that from you? What, what is it about God that makes him not give to you what's really, really good? Isn't that what he's saying? In that moment? Did God really say that to you, Eve? That's really surprising. I mean, I've known God for a long time. You know, sometimes he's up to stuff, you know? You really thought that through. Why would he, why would he say that to you? Because, man, if you, if you took of that tree, I don't know. Maybe he doesn't want you to be like him, you know? You'd be like God if that happened. You know, God's kind of insecure. So, I don't know. What's he doing there? He's messing with God's character. I just tell you, at some point when you and I in 2022 encountered the devil tempting us, at some point, it's very likely you're going to be tempted to question the character of God. Is, is God really good if he's letting this kind of a thing go on? Listen, in today's world, there's some popular categories for questioning whether God is good based on some things going on. I had an interesting conversation with a guy. This is This is common guy who's doing some work on my house, a contractor. And so after we had connected a number of times, I just was, got him on the side for a little while. And just, we just, I just started asking about, tell me about your background. What do you believe? How'd you grow up? What do you believe about God? What's your faith like? And he had a colorful background. He had kind of been all over the map in terms of church involving and been in this denomination, then that denomination, that denomination, the Jehovah Witness denomination. So he had been all over the place. And the one thing he said that just troubled him, about God was the idea that there could be eternal punishment with God. That such a thing as hell existed. Now, you know, 40 years ago, you had, you know, kind of hellfire and brimstone preachers. People had a lot less trouble with hell. Today, they got a big problem with hell. Now, be careful what's happening here. You have man with a brain about the size of your fist who is conceiving how all these complicated things get along with each other. Love, mercy, goodness. Is anybody really in the room here prepared to, to speak exhaustively about what's good? I mean, what, what class did you take? I don't know. Maybe there's a book we could read. Is there something in humanity that is so got it right about all that goes into being human and being good and managing right and wrong and the forces of evil and good that exist in the universe that you and I can now come to God and say, hey, God, I really got a problem with you if you're this way. Well, that's kind of the way the devil was with Eve. He wanted to convince Eve to have a problem with God because God was withholding something from you. How many of us have a problem with that? I want something different than what God wants from me. He's withholding something from me. 
And so today in our world, that's become everything from uh, sexual promiscuity. I, I want to express the impulses of my body, and I'm not okay with God telling me don't do that. Same-sex attraction. Gender fluidity. God has clearly, has clearly, this does not mean I'm not sympathetic to anybody who struggles in any of these categories. I, I struggle in categories to be human. But God has clearly, from the beginning, highlighted male and female. They are a big deal to the creator. And it has taken all these years to get to this culture that turns around and says, we're not okay with that. We don't want to be told male or female. We want to choose in that category. Listen, where does this stuff come from? Are you just staring out at the natural world and forgetting there's a devil in this world? He says stuff like this to humanity. At some point... Jesus gets this offer, but so does Adam and Eve. At some point, the devil's going to come along and offer you a shortcut to a good thing. That's what he was doing with Jesus. Right? Anybody recognize that the things that he was tempting, Jesus didn't starve to death. There was bread. The things that he was being tempted to have, the kingdoms of this world. How many of you guys recognize that the kingdoms of this world now belong to the Son of God? But it was a long way to get there. It was a pathway that would go through a cross and would go through suffering. The pathway to fulfill the purpose of God went through suffering. Ah, what an easy moment for the devil to come along and say, hey, I've got an alternative for you. You don't have to go through all that to have this. I take notes because when the devil shows up in 2022 in my life and in your life, he is going to offer you a shortcut to a good thing. You don't have to do all that hard work. You don't have to deny yourself. You don't have to die in some way. You don't have to experience the pain involved. Listen, we are all vulnerable to this. Everywhere in this room, there are relationships. Husbands and wives, family members, church. You're related to people at work. There's all kinds of relationships. Can I just break some news to you if you haven't already come across this? At some point, those relationships are going to become hard disappointing, painful even. And in that moment, right? Remember, because the devil is a guy looking for an opportune time. So let's suppose you and your wife are getting along great. You've got best friends and everything is great. Can I just say not an opportune time? But there will come a day when you don't feel the same way for a variety of reasons. You've just been in a relationship a long time. You've got some bumps and bruises now. You've hurt each other enough times. You've noticed this person's never gonna change in that category. You don't have the same energy. The adventure is no longer in front of you. You've lived for 20 years with this person. You know exactly what you're gonna get tomorrow. You got a new script now, 20 years later than you had. I mean, it's your first day in the relationship. Everything could work out. This person could become a carbon cutout of me. I just know that could happen and we're going to get along great. And then a year later, you're a little less convinced of that. 10 years later, you're starting to give up on the notion. 20 years later, you're done. You know, this person's never going to change. What you really mean by that, you're never going to be enough like me, by the way. And so in that moment, you have an opportune time. And what God has for you in that relationship is now hard 
And the devil will show up in that moment of hardness. Can I tell you, 2022 is going to have that kind of stuff in it. And if you don't remember this message and you encounter hard, your temptation is going to be to think that that hard is coming from that knucklehead that you're describing right now. That's where the hard's coming from. The temptation is because of what they've done. And listen, I've sat in enough meetings and I've done this myself to present a resume of why I should change course because this is hard. And this again makes us like Bible readers in kindergarten. Does anybody actually pick the Bible up and say God doesn't call people to do hard things? Is that in your Bible? God calls people to do weird things, hard things, slow things, things that are impossible, except he shows up. That could be your 2022. What is God calling you to in 2022 that look impossible and frustrating unless God shows up in it? God's in those kinds of moments. Don't overlook that. This pause is common to man. I wrote in your outline there the The moment is certainly the day of perfectly prevailing of the second Adam. It is that. So this is definitely going on in this moment. But that's not all that's going on in this moment. Part of this is simply a needed awareness of our missional conditions in a fallen world. The next chapter will be done in the presence of a live opponent with real temptations. That will be in your world John Piper says, so when we read the account of Jesus' temptations, we must realize how much is at stake here. If he fails, he will be in the same class as the old Adam, and there will be no new people. The lion will devour the world, and all the green grass and fruit trees and crystal streams and darting fish will be burned up in the fire of judgment. But if Jesus succeeds in combat with the lion, he will be able to liberate a new people who learn from him what is truly real and what is illusion. A people who learn from him how to do battle with Satan and escape the fog of his falsehoods. Here in Luke 4, 1 through 14, in the wilderness beyond the Jordan, our commander-in-chief fighting in a trench just like ours. Do not make the mistake of thinking Jesus had this unique moment led by the Spirit into a temptation and you and I don't have that? Oh, yes, we do. He is fighting in a trench that you and I are going to be living in a trench that looks just like that. And he turns back the enemy and teaches us how to do the same. You and I have need of something that has become neglected, overlooked in the Christian life. You and I will face a real live spiritual opponent this year. He will serve up temptation skillfully in our lives. This is not just unique to Jesus. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says, be Sober-minded. This is just, hey, average Christian doing life. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He is prowling and he is seeking. He is still active today. He has not gone into retirement. 
Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering. Why suffering? Because in moments of suffering is an opportune time. So Peter is wise enough to know that when you are going through suffering, you're probably encountering the devil in that moment because that's an opportune time for you to have to deal with him. And he knows. The same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Other Christians right now, today, throughout the world, are facing the devil in their lives. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Why? Well, because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I wrote this in your outline. Are you prepared to take this verse into the next chapter of your life in 2022? Into your personal battle with sin and habits and strongholds into your next chapter in your marriage, into your next chapter in your church, into the next chapter in life in America. I, you know, this is such, this verse sometimes is such a pressure relief valve for some. I've watched, and if you're sensitive to the spirit, it's very helpful. Right? Sometimes people are, are in these conflicts with one another, especially marriages can just become entrenched in heat and difficulty. And sometimes you just need a, a fellow believer to sit down with you and open up to Ephesians chapter 6 and say, listen, can I just remind you guys, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We are in a war. We are contending with spiritual forces in heavenly places that are zooming into your life and that are messing with you right now. What that does is it makes that other person not the opponent now. It makes them somebody who's in this mission with you. And there's the opponent. These spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Listen, how many times? This has been a, a two-year period of conflicts like we've never seen, never seen in our lifetime. How many times did Christians stop and say, I wonder what the devil's up to right now? Or was it just what that other political party was up to? Or just what that racial angle was up to? Or just what those people are up to? Or just whether or not you bought into this, you idiot, all this vaccine stuff. And all we're doing is interacting with information because welcome to the information age. This isn't the devil age, it's the information age. But according to the Bible... We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. The issues that you and I contend with, God has taken us behind the curtain to see what's really going on as spiritual forces that are moving things and contending with things and passing on ideas and tempting people and awakening in them. Hey, did you see this? I'm going to make this so attractive to you and talk you into it that if anybody gets in your way, you'll take them down. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from the devil. 
Does anybody believe in the devil anymore? All right, I'm going to give you some insightful quotes here before I stop. John Mark Comer is a, a pastor in uh, Portland, Oregon. Uh, he and I would probably not see eye to eye in a number of theological categories, but I would say he's one of the more gifted pastors in seeing the culture and what's going on around us. So I, I benefit from him in that category. I would not encourage you to listen to some of his theology, but does a great job of helping us see the world that we live in. Listen to what he says. Our nation is more divided than it's been since the Civil War. The last thing we need is more gas on the fire. All I want to do is name the felt experience of following Jesus in our cultural moment. And I just can't find a better metaphor. It feels like a war for the soul. We feel this constant conflict, not just out there in culture or in our digital news feeds, but inside the fabric of our own minds and bodies. A kind of inner tug of war that is emotionally exhausting and spiritually depleting, a tearing at the fabric of our soul's peace. On paper, everything's fine. I live in a beautiful home in a great city with the best coffee in the world. I have a job as a pastor. I'm free to teach the way of Jesus, at least for now. Heck, my kids and I even can walk the dog in the park and stop along the way for ice cream. Why do I feel so tired? Worn down. Not in body, but in mind. Why do I feel so battered and bruised? Why does every day feel like a battle just to stay faithful, to keep following Jesus? Don't, I, I'm going to ask for a show of hands. How many are just tired right now? I mean, you, don't have to, you don't have to raise your hands. <laughs> I, I, I have never encountered so much fatigue. Keith, are you physically tired? No. I'm, I'm mentally tired. I'm emotionally tired. There is this inner tug of war. I appreciate it. One of the things I appreciate about this guy, I've heard him interviewed... He's humble enough to show his warts. He's a pastor. He's a pastor of a church that grew ridiculously fast and, and was a massive influential church in Portland. A young guy. But there's also this inner thing going on in every one of our lives. And I, and I hope you have permission. I hope this is a church where we don't have to come in here and, and paste Bible passages on the exterior of us. And here, you get to read my exterior. On the inside, I am sucking air, man. I am not in a great place. I appreciate that he's free to describe that. Because most folks that I talk to would say they're tired, they're discouraged. This has been a difficult season in their lives. He says, here's an idea. Well, maybe because it is. Our generation has a low comfort level with military metaphors and faith. We prefer to think of following Jesus as a journey or a lifestyle rather than a war. But our spiritual ancestors didn't share our reticence with war imagery. They were far more adroit at naming the reality of spiritual conflict than we are today. For centuries, teachers of the way of Jesus used a paradigm that's been lost in the modern era. That of the three elements of the soul, the world, the flesh... And the devil. They saw the three enemies of the soul as alien invaders from hell and a kind of counter trinity to God Himself. 
He goes on in his introduction to his book and says, Honestly, many of us, even in the church, have left these ideas behind as relics of the pre-modern world. We laugh at the devil as a pre-modern myth akin to Thor's hammer or Santa Claus. We scratch our heads at the New Testament's language of the flesh in a sensual culture where people equate feeling good with being good. Whether consciously or subconsciously, we're quick to dismiss these categories altogether. But then we wonder why we feel an incessant tug of war in our chests that sabotages our peace. And we're mystified by the chaos in our news feed. Why is the world such a mess? Why am I? Here's going to be your temptation. I am that way because of some of you. Because of the government that runs things the way they do. Because of the church that can't seem to get it together. I'm that way because some natural human being has got blood flowing in their veins, has got some stupid ideas and way of doing life that's bumping up against mine, that's, that's taking the edge off everything from my joy to the way in which I get to live my life. That's why. That's why. Really? While it's easy to scoff at the ancient categories, I believe the world, the flesh, and the devil are alive and well and aided by our skepticism. They are wreaking havoc in our souls and our society. It's, 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 easy, it's interesting that Jesus in this moment, this pause, Jesus, you're about to be launched into ministry. We should probably arrange a meeting between you and Herod. And maybe some of the government officials in Rome, because you know what? If, if Christians could just get the government on their side, wouldn't that just open up so much avenues for ministry? Jesus, before you get going, let's, let's get you to Rome so we can get the, the top officials in the Roman government to go along with what you're doing. Because they're going to need to legislate some things and they're going to need to cooperate with you. And let's meet with Herod because he can really get out of control. He can mess up everything. Let's, let's have some government meetings, Jesus. No, he doesn't meet with the government. He meets with the devil. He doesn't meet with the guys with the latest ideas and entrepreneurial management and executive management. So, hey, the church could be run a whole lot better if you just absorbed every administrative idea that lives in the universe. There's all kinds of human ideas. If you would just bring those in to the church, the church could be this awesome place. Jesus, certainly, certainly we at least need to send you to a seminar before this thing gets kicked off. No. How about a meeting with the devil? You know, it, it might be one of the things that could happen that could be most helpful is a little bit closer encounter with the devil for some of us. So that I could live the rest of my life remembering who my real spiritual opponent is. And not doing 2022. Like, you know, the only thing shaping the world that I'm living in is the other human beings that I can put a name to and the government that I'm submitted to and whatever other organization is touching my... That's all that's going on in my world. So if my world goes sideways and I don't like the way it feels, one of those things is to blame. One more thought from Mr. Comer. Kurt, you can come back up wherever you are, buddy. He says, I have a soul. You have one too. And your soul like mine is locked in a war with lies. And like the ancient Spartans who were born and bred to be soldiers with no choice in the matter, we too have no choice but to fight. Make no mistake. 
I'm calling you, dear reader, to war. Now, I could be delusional or worse, out to con you for book sales. After all, writing about the devil is the best possible route to the bestseller list, right? But I'm betting you can't help but ask yourself, why is my mind under so much duress? Why do I feel inflicted by the ideologies of our time? Why do I feel this tug of war of desires in my own chest? Why do I keep coming back to self-defeating behavior? Why is there a steady stream of bad news from across the world? Why does injustice rage when so many of us decry it as evil? Why can't we seem to fix the world's deepest problems, even with our money and technology and political prowess? And why do I even care? Why does it weigh on me so heavily? Consider this. Could it be our souls are at war with another world? All right, so this morning, here's what I'd like for us to do. And last week, I hope you took the the pause that God made with Noah, where God revealed his covenant of grace to Noah. And you meditated on that all week long. You paused last week and said, Lord, I need to be more mindful before I proceed into this coming year that you are with me by grace. You did that with Noah. I I need you to do that with me. All right, well, this week, I want you to meet the devil. I want you to be very, very, very aware. Whether you are simply generically following the mission given to humanity to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth, or whether you are generically following the New Testament mandate to go and make disciples this year in your life, or you are specifically tapping into the fact that God has called you to something in 2022. Something in your career, something in relationships, something as a husband or a wife. And and as you stand at the starting gate in 2022 of that moment, can, can you make sure to remember to meet the devil? Because at some point in this year, his forces are going to oppose the purpose of God in those categories of your life. Listen, don't get a big head. It's not that he hates you. He hates what you're a part of. He hates the glory of God. And if there's anything in your life that can bring glory to God, he's attracted to it. And he will come and he will offer you an alternative at some point this year. And don't think anybody here is too spiritual to not be attracted to the alternative. It's pretty humbling when you realize Adam and Eve had never made a stupid decision in their life before. I've made lots of them. When he comes to me, it's like, He's like, oh, this guy is so easy, (laughs) so easy. He's stupid and he makes lots of stupid decisions. Look, I don't know what, does he laugh with his demons and say, look at what this guy's done in his life. He's an idiot. Hey, let one of the kids take this one. (laughs) At some point, the conflict, the war that you and I will face this year, it's not just going to be people or ideologies, or governments. It's going to be a real live spiritual being who hates the glory of God. And he's showing up at your doorstep. Let's stand up together.
Father, we start this year under the counsel of your word. Insights you gave through the Apostle Peter as he had been living his life following you for decades, advancing the kingdom for decades. He spoke to people just like us. He said, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, is still out there. He's looking for opportune times. But we're gathered together as a church by live stream and here together, Lord, with folks that you have allowed us to, to do life with. Lord, we love the people in this room. We love those that are watching. God, our lives are full of purposes. Lord, there's not a per- person here called to know you who doesn't have deep, meaningful purposes in their lives, Lord. Some on some grand scale, maybe they're going to lead hundreds to Christ. They're going to lead organizations and influence great numbers of people. Or just, Lord, maybe they're just going to be an incredible friend to someone who brings faith and shapes character. Or whatever it is you've called us, you've called us to something. And because you have called us to something, the devil wants to meet us at the starting gate. And we want to be mindful of that. I want to pray for folks who are here this morning that they've gotten lost in the fog of war. Lord, too many natural thoughts have invaded what is really a spiritual problem in their life. Lord, they're here this morning and and their, their marriage is unraveling. It's been a long time since they felt any sense of connectedness to each other and refreshment from being together as a couple. Lord, it's been too easy to just blame the other person's differences or stubbornness or natural elements. God, we are reminded this morning, Lord, whether this is a family conflict or a friendship conflict, whether it's a work conflict, whether it's a church conflict, or whatever the place may be, we are reminded this morning, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Oh yeah, you filled our lives with people, Lord. But behind those people, there is a living spiritual opponent. It's personal with him. He's not gravity. He's not some impersonal force. He seeks opportune times. We pray for one another, Lord. 2022 will present a variety of opportune times for each of us. God, I pray for watchfulness for us. Lord, make us watchful. I pray for soberness for us. God, I pray that as the enemy makes his appearance, Lord, you would make it quick for us to be able to discern. Ah, that's the enemy. I see, I smell him. He's near. He's behind this. God, make us to see with eyes that have become dull, Lord, with ears that are full of noise. Lord, give us discernment about the things that we face in this coming day. I just want to ask you a couple of questions and you just tuck them away. Maybe write something down if you feel led to. What do you think for you would be an opportune time for you? What is it about you 
as a person or the season that you're in right now that presents an opportune time. We're aware of the schemes of the devil. They are strategic. They are thought through. How might the Lord want to give you wisdom to protect your own soul? Because you see you're vulnerable. You're just vulnerable right now. Don't let the the devil be a better student of you than you are. One more question. Who would you be most vulnerable to a shortcut to a good life? What category of your life are you most tempted to avoid what is hard and to take a shortcut to something good? Father, as you lead us into this coming year, Lord, give us the grace. Be with us in powerful, gracious ways so that we can do hard things. That we're not overcome by the temptation to take a shortcut. Take an alternative to what you have for us in a category just because it's easier to do it a different way. Lord, you have called us to something glorious. You have called us to something miraculous. You have called us to something eternal. You have not called us to something easy. So, Lord, as we start 2022, Lord, take away the advantage the enemy has by appealing to us to do the easier thing. Help us, God, to simply have faith, to know you are with us. You will not abandon us. You will give us the grace that we need. The things that are hard and even impossible become doable because of your grace with us. We don't look to us, Lord. We look to Father, help us as we start this next chapter to meet the devil and to remember who you are to us, to give us wisdom in facing him in these coming days, all for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We miss you guys who are watching. Thank you. For joining with us. We're looking forward to being with you. Hey guys, the Wednesday night prayer time, uh, not intended to sound like, hey, if you're in the covenant group ministry, that's where you come. It's a prayer time. We're facing 2022. You're facing 2022. Let's come pray together and invite God into this year with us. Amen. Wednesday night.